Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. You're a good Father. We're just, <laughs> we're excited and we're anticipated for what you have for us today. You're the best. Amen. And we just welcome up Pastor Ryan. There we go. Good morning. How are you all doing this morning? It's great to see you. I'm doing well. Thank you, Alan. Uh, could we give just uh, another round of applause for the worship team for leading us this morning? Uh, such just a powerful, powerful time together. Uh, I'm excited that I get a chance to speak with you guys. Uh, some of you heard Pastor Gabe is away. He's in Grenada right now. So... Uh, he's suffering in Grenada, and Pastor Mike is also suffering because he's in Hawaii right now. Uh, so we got a lot. Our pastors are really going through, you know, difficult times right now, having a good time. <laughs> yeah, we'll pray for them. Uh, but anyway, this morning we're starting a new series. We we uh, finished our series last week on finding home with Pastor Mike, and uh, this week we're going to start a new series. Uh, and Pastor Gabe and I came up with it, and it's called The Promise Still Stands. And we want to talk about how God is faithful faithful through all seasons of life. No matter what we're going through, what we're facing, uh, he remains faithful. And so today I wanted us to focus on uh, an area that I think we all wrestle with. If we are human beings, uh, we wrestle uh, with disappointment in our lives. We're going to experience disappointment in our lives. Uh, and so today we're going to focus in on this together. Um, you know, disappointment is something that it's unmet expectations that we have. Uh, you know, it's, it's expectations and hopes in this life that uh, can be unmet now or they could be un, not unmet in the future. They don't come true. They don't happen uh, maybe ever or in the time that we hope for. Uh, and today I wanted us to look at a passage that's in Genesis, and it talks a lot about this idea of disappointment and specifically uh, it's Genesis 29, so if you guys have your worship folders, I'd love for you guys to open them up with me this morning. And uh, this passage is a passage where, you know, we see a lot of disappointment, specifically in the context of relationships, of marriage. And a lot of times, this is where we see the greatest disappointments in our own lives, too. And so I thought uh, it really applied to us. So... Just as Pastor Mike does, I would love for you guys to read with me, and we're going to read Genesis 29 together, and these are verses uh, 15 through 35. So let's read God's word together this morning. Then Laban said to Jacob, because you are my kinsman, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were reek, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel, and he said, I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than I should give her to any other man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed to him but a few days because of the love he had for her. Then Jacob said to Laban, I mean, my wife that I may go into her, for my time is completed. So Laban gathered together all the people of the place and made a feast. 
But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob and went into her. Laban gave his female servant Zilpha to his daughter Leah to be her servant. And in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And Jacob said to Laban, What is this you have done to me? Did I not serve you for Rachel? Why then have you deceived me? Laban said, It is not so done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. Complete the week of this one, and we will give the other one in return for serving me for another seven years. Jacob did so and completed her week. Then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his female servant Bilhah to be his daughter Rachel's servant. So Jacob went to Rachel also, and he loved Rachel more than Leah, and served Laban for another seven years. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction, for now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son, and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called on his name Simeon. And again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name will be called Levi. And she conceived again and bore a son and said, This time I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she ceased bearing. Would you guys just uh, bow your heads with me this morning as we, uh, we take a moment to pray together. Father, we uh, thank you for the reading of your word. We thank you for this Old Testament passage. And we ask that you would breathe fresh life on it and that you would come and breathe fresh life in our lives, Father. Would you reveal the areas that we wrestle with disappointment and would you show us uh, how you're moving and how you're working. Lord, we thank you just for uh, just the nearness and intimacy of that beautiful time of worship that we had. And we ask that that would continue this morning as we, we worship you through your word. We ask that you would be exalted in this place. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. All right, so before I get to any of my points, I want to look a little bit at the background of the story because I believe that the background of the story helps us to see the full picture of what's going on here. Uh, But what's very clear is that Jacob comes from a family that's chosen, and he comes from this family of grace and blessing. And we see this when we read the Old Testament because we know that Jacob has a grandfather named Abraham. Uh, One day God comes, you know, uh, to Abraham and he says to Abraham, listen, there's all this terrible stuff going on in the world. There's all this pain. There's all this injustice. There's misery that's that's happening. And uh, Abraham, I want to let you know I'm going to do something to change that. I'm going to do something and I want to heal what's been going on. I want to redeem what's been going on. I'm going to do something amazing. And to make it even better, I want to do it through your family, all right? I want to do it through your family. And then God continues to explain to Abraham that in every one of his, gen- that through every generation that there's going to be this seed of blessing that passes, that's going to go through one child and it's going to the next and to the next and to the next and so on until finally uh, the Messiah comes. And so there's this messianic seed that we see going through Abraham's line, going through Jacob's life and continuing through his family. That's the idea of Jacob comes from a you know, family chosen by grace. Now, the second part we need to understand is, though, although, that, although that's true, what we also see is that uh, there are a family that's familiar with disappointment and suffering. You know, they can, we, we can relate to that, I think, some of us. Uh, 
And what we see here is that Abraham has his son Isaac, and we know that uh, Isaac, you know, winds up having two children through his wife Rebekah, and the two sons are Esau and Jacob. And uh, we know that God prophesies, and he says that the, the elder will serve the younger brother, all right? The elder will serve the younger. And so what the text is saying, what that's saying is that basically, you know, God is saying, listen, the seed is going to go through Jacob, not through Esau, all right? That's the, that's the design that God had. What we see here is that Isaac kind of doesn't listen to God's prophecy because what winds up happening is he dotes on Esau. He loves his eldest son first. He loves on him. And what this winds up doing is Jacob, you know, winds up feeling ter- terribly hurt because he longs for the intimacy of his father. He wants to have intimacy with his father Isaac, but instead he watches his brother who gets all the attention, all the affection. Uh, and so what does Jacob do? You know, we know when Isaac gets old and his eyes aren't working so well, he's uh, wrestling with blindness. He dresses up, pretends to be Esau, just so that he can get the affection of his father. And he winds up robbing and stealing, you know, his brother's blessing. And so the response to this is that Esau says, I'm going to kill Jacob, you know. So Jacob gets really scared, and he flees. And we know he goes hundreds and hundreds of miles away. He goes all the way to uh, distant relatives where his mother's family is from. And uh, he tries to escape, and we constantly see this idea that I want to look at for a moment, and that sin always leads to more sin and disappointment in our lives, all right? Sin always leads to more sin and disappointment, and we see this constantly happening with this family. Uh, when we sin, we often think of a singular action or event, and I feel like part of this is because we're, uh, we've grown up in the West, and so a lot of times we compartmentalize our life, and we look at sin just being this one-time thing, this consequence, and we don't realize that what it starts to do is that it starts to, uh, you know, the Bible teaches this too, is that it becomes this devastating power throughout our lives, and it doesn't just affect us. It winds up affecting those that are around us, it winds up affecting our spouses, it winds up affecting our children, and it winds up being, you know, sin that's passed on even to generation after generation. Uh, we need to make sure that we don't just deal with the consequences of our sin, but we have got to look at what the root is. What are the causes of the sin? What are the motivations of the sin that we're wrestling with? Because if we don't, we will wind up in a very similar situation that we see uh, with Jacob's family and Jacob's life. And we know that this, this idea of Disappointment and suffering continues even past this story. You know, we see it happen where uh, when Rachel eventually has kids and Leah's kids, they hate each other so much. And we know that Joseph winds up being in slavery and they lie to their father Jacob and they say that Joseph's dead, even though he's not. And so we constantly see this idea that sin leads to more sin and it leads to more disappointment in our lives. Got it? You guys listening? Tracking with me this morning? All right. All right, you're awake this morning. Okay. All right, my second point is this idea that in the morning, it's always Leah. All right? So here's the deal. Let me, let me unpack this a little bit for you guys. I, I love her in this story, and when we read the story, your heart just goes out to her because you feel bad. She's been put in this impossible situation. She's been put in this terrible situation, and it seems like there's no way out for her, all right? But Genesis 29, 25 says, in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And so what's going on here is we know that Jacob, he must have had too much wine. 
at his own party. We know wine was flowing. It lasts for a week long. He doesn't even realize till the next morning who his wife is. So there's been, a, there's been some difficulties going on here. It's been, it's been a pretty rough night for him. But anyway, behold, he wakes up and it's Leah. Now, although our heart goes out and we feel bad to her, I want you guys to understand that she actually represents something very bad in this story. Uh, she represents this cosmic disappointment that you and I deal with. When we look at from the, after the fall, you know, the fall of Adam and Eve and once sin started, that continuing through and through, even the, the commentaries I was looking at, they, they say that this is just a snapshot of the cosmic disappointment that you and I deal with and we go through with our time here, you know, on this world together. Uh, disappointment is something, you know, we all face, whether it's we place our hopes in our, you know, spouses or our future spouses longing for that, whether it's in our children, uh, whether it's in a house, whether it's in a car, whatever it is, it's something that we have to wrestle with and we have to deal with here. Now, I want to look at C.S. Lewis, and this is a quote from him uh, from the book Mere Christianity, and I think he puts it better than anyone. So I'm going to read this to you guys. He states, Most people, if they really learn to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want and want acutely something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never keep their promise. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or first take up some subject that excites us are longings which no marriage, no travel, no learning can ever really satisfy. I'm not speaking of what would ordinarily be called unsuccessful marriages or failures of holidays and so on. I'm speaking of the very best possible ones. There's always something we have grasped at. There's always something in the first moment of longing but fades away in the reality. The spouse may be a good spouse. The scenery has been excellent. It turned out to be a good job, but it's evaded us. It's, uh, it's just really, really powerful. All right, so we're all going to face this disappointment uh, that I've been mentioning about, but we actually have an option to choose uh, in the way we respond to disappointment. We know it's going to happen, but you and I have an option to choose. And these are four different ways, I believe, that we respond to disappointment when it happens in our lives, all right? So the first one is uh, blame the things you have and say, I've got to get better ones, all right? Uh, we see this all the time. I got to get a better woman. I got to get a better man. I got to get a better house. I got, you know, it goes on and on. It's just, and this is something, although we're chuckling here a little bit, this is something that I think is so entrenched in our culture and our society is that we always need more. We always need better. Um, great example of this is, uh, when you get a new car, you know, when you first get a new car, it's like, oh, man, this car is amazing. It's beautiful. I want to make sure it's clean all the time. There's no scratches. Take it the oil change. Take it to the car wash. Uh, and then after a few weeks go by, months go by, you're like, eh, it's just a car. You know, it's not that big of a deal. Now, I've never actually experienced that before because I've never had a brand new car. <laughs> but if anybody here wants to bless me with a car, I'd be willing to try this kind of disappointment because uh, I've never experienced it before. <laughs> all right. The second one is uh, you blame yourself or hate yourself. And we know that, you know, we can't operate in God's love if we hate ourselves. We can't love anybody else if we're constantly looking at hating ourselves. Uh, the third is we blame life on others and we harden ourselves or yourself. Uh, so often what you see is people, and this one's really sad because what winds up happening is people never hope 
when they respond to disappointment this way. They start losing hope, and they stop dreaming of the future. Uh, they don't look to the future all, and they're just surviving. I remember growing up, and there was this old woman down the street, and she had just hardened her heart. She had lost all relationships in her life, and she was just constantly always angry. And we grew up on this dead-end street. And I remember as kids, we'd always go down the block, block on our bikes or we'd go into the woods or whatever. And this woman was always out there just to yell at us and be upset. And even then, I remember, like, what kind of pain has this woman experienced? That she's constantly so angry. She's always disappointed. Uh, and it was just uh, it was really sad to see this woman. All right. Lastly, is we blame the theory of reality and say, there's nothing in this world that will ever satisfy me. And when we look at this, we realize that there really, as Christians, there really is nothing in this world that can satisfy us. Pastor Mike was just talking about this last week, that we're residents here. And if we have faith and relationship with Christ, then you and I were not made for this world. We were made for heaven. You know, this is a temporary place for us. And we've got to realize that disappointment is going to come, but we also have to realize that this is such a small sliver of eternity. This is such a small time, and yet we focus so much on it, and we lose sight of heaven and what God has for us in our future together. Amen? Amen. All right, there's some people listening this morning. All right, good stuff. All right, three, idols always make disappointments of this world far worse. Um, Genesis 29, these two verses I want to look back at again. This is 32 and 34. It says, And Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. For she said, Because the Lord has looked upon my affliction. For now my husband will love me. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am hated, he has given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. And again she conceived and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will be attached to me. Because I have bore him three sons. Therefore, his name was called Levi. Poor Leah. You know, you just feel so bad for her uh, in this story and in this situation. But if we really look, you know, obviously the idea of a family having children, there's nothing wrong in that. But when we become, when we look at that and make that an idol in our life, uh, it takes the place of God, then it's not good for us. Uh, idol, an idol is, you know, when we put our hope in something to give us a sense of being loved or being valued or trying to find meaning of life in something that's other than God. And in looking at these couple of verses here, we see Leah's actually doing that, that she is trying, she's thinking that if I just have a son, then my husband's going to love me. If I just have another son, my husband's going to love me. If I just have another son, he's going to love me. And so it goes on and on and on, and we constantly see her being disappointed because she never gets the affection. She never gets the love that she longs for uh, from her husband. Share a brief story with you guys. Uh, a lot of you know that I'm married to my beautiful wife, Kara. I don't know if she's here or not, but she's somewhere. Uh, anyway, when we started dating, I remember wanting to date her so bad. I was just so infatuated with her. And I had made her into the idol. You know, I thought, if I just get to be with this woman, that's it. I've arrived at life. If I just get to have her, everything else is going to be totally fine. Everything else is going to be totally great. And then we start dating. And uh, I realized, you know, things don't go the way you think they're going to go in a relationship. And I started to realize I put every, all my stake in her thinking that she was going to be able to meet every need that I had, every want that I had, that emotionally she was going to be there. And the truth is, is that people are always going to let you down, you know? They're never going to fully be 
who you need them to be or want them to be. And so I remember praying to God. We were very, I was very angry in the relationship, and it was just constant problems. And I said, God, I was like, do you want us to break up? And he said, yes, I'm a jealous God. He said, I need to be first in your life, Ryan. I said, okay. And we broke up. We thought it was completely done. We thought, that's it. And uh, God started working in my life, and I got, just got <coughs> totally on fire for God and what he had for me. I was so passionate in following him. And uh, sure enough, he literally brought us back together like a year, year and a half later. And when we started dating, it was like I was dating somebody else. It was a little bit creepy at first because I was like, this relationship is totally different. You know, because now I'm able to love Kara, not through my own strength, but through Christ's strength. You know, no longer am I looking at her to meet all my needs, but I'm trying to see how can I love her? How can I serve her? Because of the strength and the love that the Father's giving me. You see, idols consistently always make us, you know, disappointments far, far worse. And we got to re- realize that and recognize that. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller, this is a quote from him, uh, and he does a great job of explaining this, this aspect of idols in our life. And he says, if you build your life on a spouse, that at the very best, you'll be emotionally dependent or controlling or judgmental. And if anything goes wrong with that spouse, if that spouse has any problems, you will go to pieces and you'll be of no help to that spouse or anybody else. If you build your life on your children, then at the very least, you'll try to live your life out through your children till they either hate you or they just don't have any identity of their own. And at worst, you'll end up abusing them because they've got to be good. They've got to be right. They've got to love you or You don't have a life at all. Such powerful words from Tim Keller. And uh, my question for you guys this morning is that have you guys built your life, you know, on the intimacy of this world? Or have you built your life on the intimacy of the Father and the future that we have in eternity with him? You know, looking at this, just even seeing this, this word controlling comes up. And this is a big part when we're looking at idols, this idea of controlling. Because anytime we're wrestling with idolatry, we're always trying to take control in those situations. So looking a little deeper at this, you know, the gospel of Jesus says to us that Jesus gave his life for you and I, and in return, we're called to surrender and give our lives back to him. It's not Jesus gives his life to you and I, and we then take control of our lives and we do whatever the heck we want to. But so often this is what we see happening. Uh, You know, Lord has come to set us free from idols. Amen? Amen. All right. Going pretty quick here. All right. The power of praise changes everything, and it changes everything in our lives. We were experiencing that earlier before when Matt and Rebecca were leading us. Such a powerful, sweet time together. But Genesis 29, 35, this is the last verse that we read together. It says, and she conceived, talking about Leah, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, this time I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. All right, so we look at this. First thing I want to say is that we don't see this in English, but in the Hebrew, we see that Leah actually has intimacy with God. And we know that because she's not praying out to God in the generic form of Elohim, but she's actually praying out to God in the personal name of God. She's saying Yahweh. She's calling out to the personal name. So we see that there's intimacy between Leah and the Father. But then looking just clearly at this passage, You know, 
Pastor uh, Lisa calls it pivoting. But what we see here is three times she has a son, and she thinks she's going to get the love. And the fourth time, she finally realizes, I'm never going to get my husband's love. You know, I'm never going to be able to, to have his love and affection that I'm longing to. And so she pivots, and she says, this time I will praise the Lord. This time I will praise the Lord. What else does this do? What else does this change in her life? Well, we, uh, we know that Judah is the tr- very tribe that King David comes from. And then on top of that, we know that that also is the same line that Jesus Christ is from. And so we see that through Leah's praise, through her pivoting to praise and exalt Jesus in her lowest point of disappointment, it changes her life. She gets a hold back of her life again. She gets to, you know, she gets to see the right place of where God is. No longer she's operating out of these idols, but she's operating out of intimacy with the Father. And so we see a change happen in that the very seed goes through her family and her lineage and her line. How powerful is that, folks? All right. I've got this, this last slide for you guys, and I want to look at what the power of praise can do in our lives, especially when we're facing disappointment. Well, one is that praise gets our focus off of ourselves and back on God. The second is that praise brings us to a place of humility. Uh, praise makes the enemy flee. Praise leaves no room for complaining and negativity. Praise makes room for God's blessing over our lives. Praise invites his presence. Our spirits are refreshed and renewed in his presence. And lastly, it paves the way for God's power to be displayed and miracles happen. Uh, A lot of you guys have heard Pastor Mike share, you know, the stories of going to Uganda uh, those years. I guess it's been 10 years already, but about 10 years ago, Pastor Mike went and he taught the College of Prayer and he brought people from our church and I got to go one year, and when we went to Africa, it completely changed my life. This one trip just utterly changed my life, and I realized, you know, how much I'd been putting God in a box. But anyway, this one evening, uh, we were there, and there is thousands and thousands of people. You know, we're talking like between 30,000, 60,000 people coming out to, you know, get set free, to get healing in their lives. And we're on stage, and uh, this woman comes forward with a little boy that's got to be two or three years old that's dead, you know. And immediately I'm just gripped. I'm like, you know, here in America, we're not used to dealing with dead, and especially dead children. Uh, And so it's just this really, really tough time. And uh, what winds up happening is that through the power of God, this baby is resurrected from the dead. The baby had been dead for between six and eight hours, but through the very power of of God, this baby comes back to life. Now, what's so amazing about this story to me is that it wasn't when there were people praying over this baby. It wasn't even when the laying of hands was going on by the elders. It wasn't through anointing of oil. It was during worship. It was during praise that resurrection life came back into this baby's life. And I was there, and a number of people in this church were there to witness, you know, one of the most beautiful things, to see God bring life back to this little boy's life. Talk about, you know, the power of praise and disappointment. What a beautiful picture that we have here of that. Um, the other thing we got to realize is that God's, God's promise to us is not, you know, that we're never going to have disappointment. We're going to have disappointment 
We're on, we're on this side of heaven, you know? It's a reality. It's something that you and I are going to continue to have to face, uh, you know, day in, day out. But what God's promise to you and I is that he promises himself. He promises that he is always going to be faithful to us, and he's always going to be with us. And it's not just when we're in that mountaintop, but it's also when we're really low. And I don't know about you, but I want a Savior more than anything when things are difficult in my life. Uh, That changes everything for you and I. Um, Maybe some of you guys have heard of this guy. His uh, His name is Francis Chan. He's a preacher. He's written a bunch of books and stuff. And he does this illustration that I, I love so much. And he takes a rope and he, you know, he takes this rope and he, he says, let's pretend that this rope and he's holding it in his hands is going, you know, infinitely this way. And then simultaneously it's going infinitely that way. And he takes this little piece of tape that's this big and he puts it on the rope and he goes, this is our life in all of eternity here on earth. This is how small. And he goes, this is actually too big of a piece of tape to show how small this actually, you know, our time here actually is. And now in saying that, I'm not saying that the disappointments in this world aren't real because they are. And I'm not saying, you know, we got to pretend they don't exist because we need to acknowledge them. We need to work through them. But what I am saying is that when we start to praise God and we start to realize that infinitely we are going to be in all of eternity with an all-loving and all-powerful God for the rest of our lives, that this little part right here starts to look really, really small. And the more that he becomes bigger in our lives, the smaller the disappointments are in our lives. So I thought that what better way to, to praise God than to call up, uh, I want to call up Matt and Rebecca, actually, and uh, I'm going to pray for us first, but I'm going to ask them to sing, uh, to sing a song for us because I thought we need to declare praise this morning. Uh, but let me, let me pray for us first. Would you all stand up with me this morning? Father, we thank you for your presence in this place, and I just sense first that you're wanting to uh, reveal uh, now and even through this next week places where we've seen uh, sin that's been generational sin, sin that's grown, and maybe we haven't been aware of it before, and so I ask, Holy Spirit, would you reveal to us the generations of sin and curses that have been in our life so that we can be set free from them? I also ask, I believe, Father, that there's been uh, just a lot, a lot of idolatry, Father. And it's not necessarily in the most awful things that we think of, you know, like adultery and, and all these, you know, negative things that are so obvious. But for us as Christians, Father, sometimes, you know, our very families can get in the way of our relationship with you. They can become idolatry. And so often the enemy comes and he whispers to us and he says, you know, This is what you need. This is going to make you happy. This is going to satisfy your life. If you have this, you know, then you're going to have it all. And then you realize after you get that, you're just waiting for the next thing in line. Father, we just, uh, we bind the enemy in the name and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we tear down those idols right now. We declare that our Father in heaven, he is the one and only that can truly satisfy that he is the one that is worthy of our praise. 
on the top of the mountain, on the bottom of the mountain, that he sees us all as Rachel, not as Leah's. He's able to see the beauty in each one of us. Father, you are worthy to be praised, and so right now we're going to... uh, We're going to just close by praising your name in this place together. Would you lift up your voices and just uh, sing and praise the Lord with me? And I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation and
foundation in our lives that we build upon, Lord. Nothing else. Nothing else, God. Thank you, Father, we praise your name in this place. We worship your name in this place, and we recognize and realize that you're the only thing that will satisfy, that you're the only thing that's constant with everything changing. Through all of our disappointment, you're the only one that we can hang on that we know will always be faithful. Father, thank you for my friends that are here today. I pray that you would bless them as they go through this next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming. If you need prayer at all, there's people in the front that would love to pray with you. Thank you.